Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau, and President Obrador of Mexico just signed the Declaration of North America. Why is no one talking about this? Well, we are going to do it here on the show today. We've also got Savannah Hernandez, and we're going to break down everything that happened. Davos Day 2, the World Economic Forum. But first, I want to remind you, sign up for the POSO Daily Brief, humanevents.com slash POSO. So many people are signing up to this. I have to say thank you, and I appreciate all the signups. This is completely free. It is what I read every day. So read what I read for show prep. Read what I read as I'm going through the news on a daily basis. It will come directly to you, to your inbox. You want to be scrolling Twitter, Getter, and everything else. You just read the POSO Daily Brief once a day. You get in, you get out. It's great. Humanevents.com slash POSO. Let's get into it. This declaration is a historic step in our work to eradicate deep and deep-seated injustice. Diversity is a fact, but inclusion is a choice. How we choose to incorporate the diversity of our communities can mean the difference between a stagnant and thriving country and, and continent. In every nation, members of marginalized groups face discrimination. They face barriers that prevent them from participating fully in society. It's a daily reality for people from indigenous communities in communities of African descent, women and girls, LGBTQI plus people, people with disabilities, religious minorities, and others, including in the United States. With this declaration, each of our nations acknowledges the responsibility to work with fierce urgency to knock down these enduring barriers and to try to stamp out the prejudice at their root. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today is January 18th, 2023, Anno Domini. What you just heard there, that's Secretary of State Tony Blinken, along with the government of Canada, the government of Mexico. When the Mexico City Summit was just held only one week ago, no one's talking about this. Yes, today is Davos Day 2, and we're going to get into that, but we also must be very clear that Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau, and Obrador went down to Mexico City and they signed a Declaration of North America. Declaration of North America. Global integration, global collaboration, diversity and inclusion, you hear there from Tony Blinken. What else does this document call for? Open borders, increased migration through Central America and Mexico to the United States for labor purposes, for economic purposes, asylum seekers, refuge seekers, open doors to the entire world. That's exactly what this declaration is calling for. And we've seen these same type of forces before, the forces of globalization. And so that's why I'm very excited to bring in Sav Hernandez. Savannah, you've been at Davos all week. You've just been crushing it with your reporting. When I look at this information about the Declaration of North America, Klaus Schwab has been talking about this exact same agenda from the entire uh, trip that you've been there with uh, global integration, global collaboration, and saying that he wants to fight against fragmentation and the messy patchwork. Well, I say, guess what? I'm a proud fragment. 
if that's what you're going to call me, a fragment. I'm a proud fragment standing up for my nation, standing up for my religion, standing up for my beliefs, standing up for my heritage. I'm proud to be a fragment standing in the way of Klaus Schwab and his agenda and this declaration in North America. Tell me, though, as you've been going around, is this the, what you're hearing more of, this global uh, integration collaboration among Western countries? Well, absolutely, Jack. And I always love to make the point that the reason why the World Economic Forum chooses Davos, Switzerland, an extremely remote location, is because the public people who have to deal with the ideologies and policies that, by the way, these unelected people are trying to push on us, um, you know, they don't have to hear from them from this remote location. That is why they choose to be up here. That is why they choose this as the location to push globalism on us. And you know what? Our, our own cameraman here at TPUSA made a very very, very great statement earlier today. He basically said that, you know, the left is so woke and says that we have to respect everybody's culture, but simultaneously they'll support organizations like the World Economic Forum that support globalization, which equals the destruction of culture, which equals the destruction of your borders, of your nation. So, of course, this is rhetoric that we're seeing here on the ground in Davos, Switzerland, alongside the climate crisis, alongside every other form of propaganda. And you know what's funny too, Jack, is that their focus is supposed to be on the cost of living crisis that their own policies have created, by the way, and that really hasn't been at the forefront. No, it's been the propaganda and fear around COVID-19 still around climate change, around why we need a one world government to come in and round everybody up and make sure that everybody is complying with the World Economic Forum. And I think this is the best example too, Jack, that I could think of of what would happen if we did implement World Economic Forum policy on the global population. For example, you still have to take a PCR test in 2023 to check and make sure if you have COVID-19 if you wanna get into the World Economic Forum meeting. Now, if you refuse this test, guess what happens? Your digital ID gets deactivated and you cannot participate in the meeting. What does that mean? It means that if you don't listen to the World Economic Forum, they excommunicate you from uh, participation, correct? So if this type of uh, mentality gets pushed onto the whole globe, basically, we would already see how the World Economic Forum would react to the people who would be so, pushing back against their policies. So let me ask you, though, because some people have said that it's not important for us to focus on the World Economic Forum, that we're really just wasting mm -hmm. our time spreading conspiracy theories. Do you think it's important to focus on the World Economic Forum? Absolutely, Jack, and I'm so glad that you asked me this question because, again, who has been involved with the World Economic Forum? Well, people like Justin Trudeau, people like Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand, right? They had the most restrictive and the most dystopian punishments in regards to people who pushed back against the COVID-19 lockdowns. Never forget that Justin Trudeau tried to freeze the bank accounts of the Canadian protesters who simply did not want to be locked down anymore. Never forget that Jacinda Ardern herself basically said she wanted two classes of people, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Let's also look at Angela Merkel as well, because the, uh, the rising energy crisis, uh, the rising prices of energy right now, aka the energy crisis, yes, is a very big issue. Who was Angela Merkel directly tied to and working with for quite a long time, the World Economic Forum, and whose net zero policy was she pushing? And look at the crisis that's happening in Germany right now with their energy. So yes, it's important for us to focus on the World Economic Forum because these are their policies in place that are, again, just pushing us further into collapse. As I said yesterday on the show, the reason that your car engine turns off when you get to a red light, that's the World Economic Forum. And that mm -hmm. should be a reminder to you of who's really in charge. Because if you have a car that's built in the last three to five years, chances are that it's got that little EcoBoost engine in there, automatic shutoff at the red light. 
That's because of not not it doesn't it's not like Klaus Schwab is, you know, like some Bond villain, you know, calling the shots up there. It is a mentality, a mentality of Davos man, a mentality of globalism. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We had a couple more segments here with Savannah Hernandez live Davos, Switzerland. Folks, are you waiting for the other shoe to drop? Any moment now, another major crisis can pop up and take America by surprise. That's when the panic starts. And grocery store shelves are stripped bare within hours. We've seen it before and we will see it again. Just look at the storm that swept across our country just a few weeks ago. Even areas that were prepared for winter weather were taken by surprise. That is why so many people are now grabbing emergency food for My Patriot Supply. Just have a stockpile. Just have it there on hand. It will give you peace of mind. My Patriot Supply is the nation's largest preparedness company, and they want to help more Americans get ready for what is most certainly coming. They're also now, huge announcement, $200 off the regular price of their three-month emergency food kit. This kit is packed with delicious breakfast, lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks, enough to feed one person for three whole months. Get at least one kit per family member so you have enough to go around. These kits are in stock and ready to ship. Shipping is free and your entire order arrives quickly in unmarked boxes for your privacy. Don't be taken by surprise. The time to prepare is now. Go to preparewithposo.com today. Preparewithposo.com. China views Taiwan not as a separate country, but as a part of China. Um, do you think that Taiwan is separate from China, or do you think that um, they're part of China? Well, I'm not allowed to talk about the politics, though, because that's what I... Uh, um we have the Ukraine house here, a lot of support for Ukraine. Uh, many people asking, what about the Taiwanese? Why do you think the Taiwanese flag is not flown here um, at the World Economic Forum? Well, it's a sad story. You know, actually, Taiwan should be here. They should be represented as well. But because of the China One policy, and then obviously, I think the World Economic Forum is, you know, uh, taking that into consideration. So that's why the Taiwanese are not here, maybe. But, you know, there are people, too, that, you know, Chinese in ethnicity. Uh, they speak the Chinese language. They, they share the Chinese culture and all these things. And, you know, I, I hope I can see them here as well because they are human beings just like you and me. I, I wouldn't know. I'm sorry. I can't. I don't know enough about it, to be honest. Um, I don't think I'd be the best person to make a call on it and make opinions on it. So that would be ignorant of me. Taiwan, once again, given short shrift, you know, I went up there to, Sav, I don't know if, if you saw, but I went to the World Economic Forum website. I went to the general session and you can search every session. I type Ukraine, lots and lots of uh, sessions on that. We've got the prime minister of, of Finland up there telling us how she, um, uh, Sana Marin, um, you know, fortunately she was sober during her speech and she was able to tell us that, you know, Putin is totally canceled. In fact, she is probably going to be unfollowing him on Instagram and putting thumb down comments on everything that he posts. He's totally canceled. She actually even followed up by saying she like can't totally even with him. But when it comes to Taiwan, um, you know, you don't hear the defense defensive democracy. Instead, you see the second largest delegation to the World Economic Forum after the U.S. is the Chinese Communist Party. So isn't it interesting that all of this talk about defending democracy doesn't seem to apply to Taiwan? Why is that, Sav? You know, Jack, I'm really happy that you were again bringing this up as well, because by the way, Ukraine House is here. The last time we were here in Davos last year, we had the big, uh, you know, Ukraine or was it Russia House last year? And they were demonizing the Russians. Or it was was it Russia, House? So they, they canceled the Russia House last year and they turned they it into the it. Russia War Crime House. And okay, then, thank of you. Course, 
when you when, so when you and I well when I was getting detained and you were coming over and filming me when I was getting detained and then you know got in with like uh, uh, Mulder by the way for uh, oh, Davos Scully so for folks who don't know that is Sav last year when I was being detained screaming why are you detained journalists why are you doing it that was you <laughs> and and of course Tanya was not there because she was over at the Ukraine house taking selfies with Lee Schreiber. <laughs> okay, yeah, so this year it's the Ukraine house and you do make a very important point, Jack. We continue to see the protection of China. Now, climate change is at the forefront for the World Economic Forum, but why is it that we're never addressing China's pollution? The fact that China doesn't wanna be a part of the Paris Climate Agreement. Why is that always overlooked? Why is China always given uh, these passes, right? And like you said too, a lot of people have no idea what's going on in Taiwan, but everybody has an opinion on Ukraine. The guy that said he he was unaware of what was happening in Taiwan was from Canada. The woman in the beginning of that video was actually the delegate from Indonesia. And she was like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't really comment on it. And then uh, the second man was also an attendee of the World Economic Forum and based on his badge color, because we all know they like to, uh, uh, you know, have their hierarchy here at the WEF. Uh, he was uh, one of the higher ups there. Uh, and, and again, too, it's like everyone's kind of protecting China. Everyone's kind of well, just and, looking and the other way. What was interesting to me, and and fantastic work, by the way, incredible journalism that Thank you've you. done to collect these interviews, that first delegate from Indonesia, did she actually say, I'm not allowed to comment on Taiwan? Is that what she said? She did. And because, you know, we're short on time, there's actually another portion of this clip, too, where she said, oh, yeah, we're working with China right now and we're friendly with China and they're investing in us. And then I asked the Taiwan mm -hmm. question and then she said, oh, I can't comment. This is so the, this is the deal for One Belt, One Road. So China's building their One Belt, One Road. They're building the Maritime Silk Road. Indonesia plays a huge part in that. The entire uh, Strait of Malacca for all the Chinese shipping that's going to be going through there. Um, that strategic choke point in uh, the line of communication in um, in in, uh, in the Indian Ocean or connecting the Indian Ocean to the South China Sea. That what we need to understand is that the Chinese Communist Party is underwriting so many of these governments, so many of these businesses, so many political actors, by the way, even people who nominally are on the right, be very wary of this because the Chinese, there are people who are making billions and trillions of dollars off of the rise of China. And that is why you notice that you can say whatever you want about Russia. You can demonize them. You can say whatever mm -hmm. you want about a Russian person. You can, and you'll never get called for hate speech. You'll never get called anything like that. You can just say whatever the heck you want about them. But the minute that you bring up Taiwan, suddenly people close their mouths. Such an important point, Jack. Uh, you know, we're basically being told who we are and are not allowed to demonize in society. And again, if you go talk to anybody on the street, they will absolutely think that Russia is public enemy number one. You go and ask them about China, they have no idea what's going on over there. They say, oh, well, we, we've never heard the NBA speak out against China um, because the people who try to protest for Hong Kong were silenced. Right. And now we're seeing the same thing happen with Taiwan. Right. You get silenced, you get disappeared. And meanwhile, we're seeing the escalatory steps of both the U.S. and China in the South China Sea. That's why we've called for more peace talks. We've called for a de-escalation in that situation because we know that if the United States continues on this path, then we'll be on one continent in a, pro a hot proxy war with Russia in Ukraine. That's where we are right now. They're sending the tanks over because Ukraine, Ukraine's running out of tanks. So we have to backfill them and our NATO members are backfilling them as well, our partners. Then at the same time, we're going to be simultaneously in a hot war with China over time. We can't do it. 
We're going to be completely overextended. Now we're in a two front global conflict that could potentially spill out like the historic infamous Thucydides trap spill out into a third world war as the United States loses its uh, its global hegemony. And now we're facing this, what, what Klaus Schwab, of course, is very upset about calling it the poly crisis, but also understanding that we are now moving into a world of multipolarity. And to me, a lot of the elite uh, conflict that you're seeing, in my view at least, is that it's sort of this argument over who's going to be in charge of the world government. Is it going to be the Western elites or is it going to be the Chinese Communist Party? And the, the elites in the West that have at least wisened up to this at this point, they realize it, it ain't you. It's going to be the CCP in control. Last word, Saf. Yeah, Jack, I mean, we have seen increasing strength from the CCP. We've seen their infiltration of our own government, our own institutions of Hollywood, for crying out loud. They are very influential already in the U.S. So people need to wake up and be aware. And this, again, is why we need to pay attention to the WEF. Right, exactly. And so you need to, we need to understand how the world works. We need to understand what's going on behind the scenes. Davos is not the place that's 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 handing down the marching orders. They're not the ones that are, you know, sitting atop their snowy summits and calling the shots like some Bond movie. They're the PR agency for the elites. They're the ones who are selling it to you on TV. Come back up, last segment. You know, we uh, tend to emphasize the, the bad news, and th there is unfortunately a lot of it, but there's a lot of good news as well. And, and I just want to cover some of it in my country, we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which is primarily a climate uh, act, $369 billion, which will actually be much larger than that because the heavy lifting is done by tax credits that uh, are very long-term, some of them actually open-ended, uh, and the early investments that have already been triggered by it uh, give a great deal of reason, uh, many reasons for believing it's going to be much larger than $369 billion. So I'm very encouraged by that. Secondly, in Andrew's home country, Australia, the elections uh, changed the climate policy of Australia. And then the elections in Brazil changed the climate policies in Brazil. So there is good news. We do have some momentum. The European Union has been mostly successful in balancing the need to respond to the short-term energy crisis caused by Russia's evil and cruel invasion of Ukraine, balancing that short-term crisis with the need to accelerate the longer-term transition to renewable energy. Al Gore just completely laying it out. You know, he's getting a little long in the tooth there, Al. So he's just kind of admitting this stuff uh, publicly that, uh, no, it's it's all been part of a global scheme. We want to control the world. We want to control your election. He says it right there. He said, we want to control elections in order to get our climate policies set around the world for one world government. He's sitting next to Petro Poroshenko, the former president of Ukraine. I think that's Petro Poroshenko. Um, was cut off a little bit. Uh, but this was the former president of Ukraine who Zelensky beat in the previous election. Zelensky ran actually at that point um, – calling for peace with Russia over Donbass and Crimea. We saw how that turned out. Um, and then we also have to understand that when he's he's saying that Russia is essentially responsible for the energy crisis, we'll say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. No, Russia's 
energy leverage over Europe, Russia's energy policy uh, is lying at the bottom of the Baltic Sea because someone or other blew up their pipeline. And so now they can't sell their cheap crude and their, their LNG into Europe. It's the United States that's selling LNG that has flooded Europe with this. Obviously, the United States, you know, they used to say, cherchez la femme. I used to have a professor in international relations who said, cherchez le petrol, look for the petrol, look for the gasoline, look for the oil. Uh, and so you can see the clear benefactor or the 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 beneficiary of a lot of this has been the US LNG market. And you simply have to point that out that even though it's more expensive, clearly uh, it, it's always been about who can supply the energy to the lucrative, highly, highly lucrative European market. And so nuclear hasn't gotten it. Uh, Russia's now kicked out. Uh, Israel had their, um, their they were going to build a pipeline that's been totally shut down um, through the Mediterranean. It was going to be Israel and Egypt were going to build a pipeline up through Italy and Greece. And George Papadopoulos actually talked about this years ago. He saw what happened to him. And so suddenly now who is the sole supplier? Well, it's going to be the United States. So again, you just connect the dots, you point these things together. And then to Sav, to your point, that Ukraine house uh, last year, I remember who paid for the Ukraine house. Can you tell me who was paying for Ukraine house this year? I believe his name was Victor Pinchuk. Did I pronounce that correctly? Victor Pinchuk. So the Victor Pinchuk Foundation underwrote the entire thing last year for Ukraine House, mm -hmm. also for the Russia War Crimes House. Victor Pinchuk is Ukrainian oligarch, extremely powerful. Um, he's not the oligarch who was behind Zelensky. That was Igor Kolomoisky, even though they've had kind of a falling out recently. But Victor Pinchuk, if you go back and look, was who? The number one oligarch who donated to the Clinton Foundation in the past when she was the Secretary of State. Sav, these people are not sophisticated. They're wealthy, they're powerful, but they ain't smart. They only have one playbook and they keep going back to it. And you hear Al Gore, he's been doing it now for 20 years. Exactly, Jack. Uh, you know, if you keep connecting the dots, eventually they keep overlapping with all of these people continuously connected to each other, continuously pushing these bad policies on us. Also, I think it's absolutely hilarious to know how the WEF and the entire world, by the way, that has been pushing this net zero policy is simultaneously demonizing Russia for, uh, you know, leveraging their oil and gas. I thought that oil and gas was a bad thing. What happened to all of the green energy policy that uh, Germany or other various European countries have adopted? What happened with that and the energy supply coming in doesn't seem to be working too well. And going back to Al Gore, I made it a point to really, again, research climate change before I came here to Davos. Back in the 1970s, we had global cooling in the Ice Age. In the 80s, it was global warming. Then there was a hole in the ozone layer that actually closed up, by the way. And now it is climate change, which is turning into climate crisis and climate catastrophe. I was actually reading not reading, listening to a Davos panel from earlier today, Jack, and they were saying that we are dealing with a mass extinction and a planetary and justice crisis. I have no idea how all of those things, you know, link together climate change and justice. Actually, Jack, too, I wanted to bring up this point. Um, all the people that I was interviewing about climate change kept bringing up the concept of mental health. And, you know, this, this uh, new trend of mental health and climate change, it just really speaks to the fact that the climate propaganda is impacting the youth so much and scaring them so much that they don't want to pre procreate, right? They don't want to eat red meat because they think it's bad. Yeah. They, um, they want to give up all of their rights and freedoms and are basically giving into this depopulation effort because a fearful 
population is a subservient population. And that is why they continue to push this type of rhetoric. Well, it's become, like so many other things, a, a neo-pagan religion that's taken over mm-hmm. our civic space uh, the same way. I mean, we had back in Philadelphia, we had a, a Flyers player who got, uh, you know, the entire media world lost their mind because he wouldn't wear a pride jersey, right? This is, again, this is a religious response that we're seeing to those things. But that being said, I think I would agree because I also question the mental health of people who believe in climate change that much. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I think it's more sad, right? Because we have Gen Z and millennials that are dealing with such anxiety and depression that they yeah. don't even want to start a family, have their own kids. I, I really do think it's 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 really sad that they have been so misled about a lot of the benefits of fossil fuels, by the way, because if we really did enact these net zero policies, who would really be sacrificed at the altar of this? It would be those third world impoverished countries who wouldn't have access to cost effective and easy transportable fuel. So they well, would really be the forbid, ones that God would- forbid we talk about nuclear energy. Exactly, Jack. Exactly. That is always which countries, by the way, are leading the world in nuclear energy right now. China is going to be one of the biggest ones. So we've only got about a minute left. But I, I love how we've covered pretty much the entire ball field here. We've really gone around the horn. Tell us what's one of your final impressions that you've got from Davos this week? You know, it's the same hypocritical propaganda that we see time and time again. And I'm really happy that journalists from around the world have come to this place and come to come expose what is really going on here. Because again, remote location, so you can't protest. So it really is up to journalists and up to organizations like Turning Point USA to bring journalists to this area so we can actually ask the hard questions and hold these people accountable. So again, my main takeaway is that everything that they are pushing is an anti-humanist, anti-human agenda. And we really need to be awake to this and aware of what is really happening. That's exactly right. They want us hooked up to the metaverse while they attain Elysium. Savannah Hernandez, Davos, Switzerland, my favorite Turning Point journalist. God bless. Thank you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore. 